another episode of the Emmanuel Pastors Podcast, a chance for you to listen in on a conversation between myself, I'm Nathan, and uh, Theo. What's up? And today uh, we have a special guest. So if you if you noticed, we had a week off. Uh, we meant to record this last week, but um, our special guest had some oral surgery he was recuperating from. Um, who is our special guest today? You want to introduce yourself, uh, Randall? Hey, I'm, I'm Randall Bishop, one of the uh, former pastors of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Uh, yeah. I was sent out about a year ago to my hometown of Dallas, Texas, to uh, plant a church here in the Dallas area. And so here we are, reunited uh, with the Emmanuel elders. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. Um, feels real good. Good you to have, have you home on back. this podcast. Um, so yeah, so Randall, how long were you an elder here? I was an elder there um, two years, running on three years. Yeah, yeah, those were good years. And um, but we sent you out this time last year, about. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. We actually moved back to Chicago in the month of July. Um, I think our last uh, church meeting when I stepped down from eldership was in June, wasn't it? That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. I was so, on sabbatical. So it was in June when I stepped down and then yep. and then we moved here at the end of July. Right. So why don't you give us, uh, why don't we start off with just like an update? Um, how, where, where are things at with the church plant? Um, what's going on with uh, Trinity Gospel? Down in Dallas, South Yeah, yeah, great question. Would love to update you guys. So the church plan itself, uh, it's just different. Um, it's different. We're moving really slow. Um, given the, the context in which the church plan is, is trying to get established, and that's yeah. in the midst of the whole COVID-19 situation where a lot of self-quarantine and, and even instructions from our government um, have been handed down to us uh, as citizens. And so we're trying to abide by that. And uh, as we do that, it's just been really slow, um, really different. Um, but it will be our claim to fame. It's, you know, I've told you guys this and, you know, for the listening audience, I mean, it'll kind of be like my claim to fame in, in terms of being a, a pastor. Like I'll be able to tell my grandkids, hey, I planted a church when the world was shut down. And uh, so, you know, I'm serious about Jesus. So but uh, no, it's, it's it has been slow um, in terms of like partnering with local churches. Uh, that's kind of the order of the day. I still am uh, trying to do that quite often so a lot of that looks like zoom meetings and uh, google hangout meetings um, sometimes uh, it's a slower uh, than a faster pace of course but i mean those that's kind of the order of the day just doing a lot of meetings via zoom and google hangout trying to meet people here in the area um, emailing local pastors emailing uh, potential uh, gospel partnerships, people who I can set up partnerships with and, and trying to establish ourselves just at a very grassroots level um, in terms of uh, partnering with people. And then another way we've been partnering is just uh, really just doing ministry. Uh, the neighborhood where we want to put Trinity Gospel Church is a neighborhood called South Dallas, which is one of the more historic neighborhoods of the city of Dallas. And so when you think about Dallas, you know about Oak Cliff. Uh, we say Oak Cliff. We don't pronounce the A-K. It's just Oak Cliff. Um, but it's Oak Cliff, um, very historic neighborhood. But a w another historic neighborhood, as I mentioned, is South Dallas. 
And so we think about South Dallas, you think about Martin Luther King Boulevard, you think about Malcolm X, you think about Atlanta Street, you think about Pennsylvania. These are uh, notable streets in South Dallas, in the South Dallas neighborhood that people know about. You think about the State Fair of Texas and you, and you think funnel cakes and you think about the Rose Bowl. Um, this is the neighborhood where the Nation of Islam is. And so this is a very popular and trend-setting neighborhood in the city of Dallas. And this is where we're trying to start this new work. So, the Rose Bowl. Uh, say that again. The Rose Bowl. Yeah, that's that's. It's like a. Uh, if it's not the Rose Bowl, it's some kind of bowl. <laughs> and uh, I know that they have like that's where Texas and OU have played a couple of times. Yeah. Um, so when they come to Dallas, they have often played in uh, at the State Fair. Um, there's a there's a stadium yeah. there that they play in. Cool. But ministry-wise, we're connecting with a ministry there um, in South Dallas uh, called Bonton Farms, which is basically a ministry that's trying to help uh, push back against uh, a sense of, um, you know, the food desert kind of situation where, where people are needing fresh produce and, and good food in order to establish good nutrition. And so I've kind of partnered with them. One of the guys there has invited me in to facilitate a Bible study. And so I've been doing that for the past few weeks. And cool. in terms of the church plan, it's just real grassroots partnerships and trying to get our feet on the ground in order to establish ministry partnerships. Awesome. Those are, I mean, the, the creative things that you do in a, a church plant are exciting. I mean, they're exhausting in some ways, but they're, they're fun. Uh, so that's a fun stage that you're in. Uh, would it be right to assume like that South Dallas neighborhood is largely an African-American neighborhood or tell us a little bit more about kind of the demographic? No, that's that's a that's a right assumption. Yeah. South Dallas is a, a largely African-American neighborhood uh, as of late. Um, again, since I've been here almost now for about a year uh, now, um, as I've seen the neighborhood, it has changed from when I knew it growing up and being able to come out here and visit as a as a kid and as a teenager. But yeah, it's a lot more Hispanics in the neighborhood now. There always has been, but yeah, South Dallas has, has been a predominantly African-American community, but now the demographic is changing. And like many neighborhoods, and I know that uh, we've even seen this in Chicago, and, and we've talked about this when I lived there with you guys, that it's just a lot of gentrification going on as well. And uh, South Dallas is one of those neighborhoods that's experiencing that gentrification. So you have whites moving into South Dallas now. Actually, you know, right behind Martin Luther King Boulevard and, and some of those places that are near Fair Park. Um, and and it's, it's quite interesting that the way that the demographic of South Dallas is changing. Is there a Rudy's there? There is not a Rudy's chicken in hmm. South Dallas. Hmm. Uh, Oak Cliff, Texas. That's where you have to go if you want to go to Rudy's. But um, actually, man, I'm not even sure if there is a, a chicken. It's basically a chicken shack, man, you know. Uh, but I don't know if there is like a, a chicken shack in South Dallas that that I know of. So that shows you I'm not from South Dallas. But that place uh, needs it needs a lot of work, then, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if they were a franchise, man, I think it would it would possibly lessen the quality of of the chicken, man. You got to go to that one spot to get it. <laughs> I see. <laughs> uh, and then, so what's next for you? Like, what's the next big thing um, for you guys? Is for you and Matina and the kids, like in this journey, church planting? Yeah, great question. And next step for us really is to, to get into the neighborhood. Uh, we've been looking at a few places. Um, we are looking at South Dallas itself. And if the Lord would provide a house for us in the middle of South Dallas, that would be wonderful. Uh, we, we would definitely be 
uh, open to that. Um, that's actually our preference. Um, but if there's a if there's a home that's uh, within 15 minutes, 20 minutes of the South Dallas uh, neighborhood, we'd be open to that as well. Even though I would have to commute a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the next big step because that allows us to again continue to work on the grassroots of building relationships with people in the neighborhood. Uh, building relationships with ministries that are already present and have been doing good work in the neighborhood. And then also just getting to see what are the challenges and what are the needs of the community just with my own eyes, you know. Yeah, um, so I can only do so much reading and I can only gather so much anecdotal information just passing through that one day a week when I go to facilitate the Bible study. Yeah. But if we can get on the ground, I mean, I think that's going to be the best bet. So we're looking to to get a home uh, within the next few months, um, hopefully. Um and try to just be there just from a family and ministry standpoint. And another family standpoint is just really making sure that our kids close out this time of transition and providing a home for them would be a great way to do that. So yeah. those are some of the, the reasons why uh, purchasing a home and getting into the community or around the community would be our next big step. Well, we'll be praying for that for sure. Yeah, and, I appreciate uh, that. And then your support raising, where give us an update really fast. What percentage are you at right now? Yeah, so support raising right now, God has been, you know, so faithful to provide. Um, and we have not gone uh, without. We've not lacked a thing. And God has been so faithful. So just the Lord be praised. You know, yeah. we're at uh, 67, 68%. Um, of $114,000. So that leaves us for the church planning program just shy of $40,000 left to raise. And uh, so we're in a we're in a pretty good position and uh, we'll continue to have ongoing monthly support uh, having met that 67 to 68% uh, mark. Uh, But yeah, we definitely still want to, you know, round that out and go ahead and hit that 100% support uh, before uh, we get too far into the summer. That's that's the that's yeah. the prayer. That's the goal. Okay. Well, I, I would just, uh, I would say for those who are listening, there's a lot of people talking these days about, you know, how can we support uh, black businesses or, you know, black startups? Like, hey, here's, here's a, one of our own, a black pastor who's planting in an African-American neighborhood, uh, and he's at 67%. Hmm. Mm. let's push them let's push them over guys yeah. let's uh, yeah. let's let's do this uh here's a great place to to throw some some money there mm. um mm. well let's keep talking about race that's what that's what we wanted to have a discussion about now obviously the world's talking about it so mm-hmm. uh, we as believers um have been talking about it uh but we especially need to be uh engaged in that conversation right now so um, so I guess first off, I just ask, like, how are you doing, man? How are you doing personally, um, in the family, and what do you what have you been thinking about lately, feeling lately? Yeah, well, well, thank you for asking, man. We we're we're good, man. I, I tell you, we're good. Um, the emotions uh, are wide ranging, um, so I'm not gonna say that we're good in the sense as, as though we haven't been, uh, uh, you know, infected infected, <laughs> affected emotionally. Um, but I, I think that God has really just blessed us with an extra measure of grace for this season. Um, for one, because it's been so heavy uh, in, in terms of transition and just kind of rooting ourselves back in, in, into the Dallas neighborhood. Yeah. But for me personally, uh, I've been fixing my mind on a psalm, uh, Psalm 34, um, 
has been really rich for my soul during this time and just been reading through that. And it's just been a blessing. And uh, one of the verses that stands out is Psalm 34, verse 4, that says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. And uh, as I read that uh, a couple weeks back and, and have been and meditating on that since, it's just been nourishing to me just to just to chew on that. Um, because I think in the midst of it all, uh, for me personally, just, just as it relates to just my own disposition, like I, I can get really fearful. I can get really anxious. Um, and so that, that psalm has just been really helpful for me to just meditate on and to remind myself of the fact that I just need to be very earnest about seeking the Lord uh, in, in a time when uh, everybody's doing a whole lot of other things. But for me, I, I want my own personal life to be centered on seeking the Lord. So that, that psalm reminded me of that. And then it also offered me a promise because it says that he delivered them. He delivered him from all his fears. And so it, it doesn't come from the varied amount of other things that I could do. The deliverance only comes when I'm seeking the Lord. Um, and so I thought that that was pretty profound and, and uh, just really weighted on my heart. And so it's kind of cranked up my prayer life quite a bit and challenge me to pray when I'm not praying. And so, um, yeah, that's that's, that's cool. kind of how I've been doing personally. Um, in terms of my marriage, me and Matina have been discussing it, um, and it's been some rich discussion. Um, you know, we've tried to talk about uh, uh, how to just be watching out for each other, how to make sure that we're both processing in a healthy way um, our circumstances, whether it's related to COVID or whether it's related to some of the, the social justice things that you mentioned, Nathan, you said that you want to talk about social justice or justice or racial mm -hmm. tensions, if you will. You said racial tensions. But uh, kind of kind of dealing with some of the the racial issues at hand, um, this is this isn't anything new, right? Right. For for either of us. <laughs> All three of us have experienced um, something um, that has, you know, informed us of the fact that our world is broken and the context that we've entered into is in need of God's redemption and in need of God's spirit working mightily to, to, to make things new. And so it's not anything new in terms of the racial issues that are going on. And so me and Matina keep reminding ourselves to, to look to the Lord and to be prayerful and to also, uh, you know, be vulnerable uh, with each other and make sure that we're, we're voicing what's really going on in our hearts. And so we try to do that often. So basically just keeping open communication, just talking to each other, making sure that we, we know where one another's hearts are. And uh, lastly, and definitely not, not the least, our children, they just know about good and bad. Um, we haven't mm -hmm. told them about any of the, the events that have happened. Our kids are, we have four kids that range from nine, six, five, and four. And we have not told them about George Floyd. We have not told them about Breonna Taylor. We have not told them about Ahmaud Aubrey. We've not told them about Tamir Rice. And the list goes on and on and on um, as it relates to those atrocities. Um, but we, we haven't talked to them about that um, because, because I think that just on a very foundational basis, what we have talked to them about is just morality itself. And so the way that I've, you know, kind of shared it with people is that when we're talking to our kids because of their personal development. And so each parent and each person will have to obviously make a decision for themselves where they need to enter this conversation with someone who's younger. Um, but for us and our children, um, we've decided to just say, hey, in a general sense, there are good people and there are bad people. 
specifically, there are good cops and there are bad cops. And even more specifically, uh, and even more to home base, there are good pastors and bad pastors. Uh, good churches and quote-unquote bad churches. And so we have kind of just laid that out for our children in that way. And then as things arise, then we'll address specifics if our children get wind of it. We can't shelter them or protect them from everything. But what we do want to protect them from is things that their minds and hearts aren't ready to process spiritually and emotionally, mentally. And so we, we, we would definitely consider the George Floyd situation and some of these others as situations that they're not ready to, to wrap their hearts and minds around emotionally. And we, we want to prepare them for the brokenness and the sin that's in the world just by establishing a foundation of morality. Uh, you know, Randall, I, 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 my, my own personal background, I, I grew up in a small town. It was, it was pretty conservative. We, we didn't really have a lot of conversations about race or race issues. So I, I'm curious, I've been trying to have these conversations with different people around me and different pastors, like from your perspective and, uh, your place and in, in the African-American community, uh, how, how do you see this? Uh, the history of, of racism in America and how do you think about our, our place and time in, in America today with, with regards to uh, the systemic problems we're, we're facing today? Like if you had to like, explain it to someone in my position, what, what would you say? Yeah, Theo, that's a great question. And, and in your question, uh, there is assumed that there is systemic racism. Because you said, how how would I explain it? Um, for one, I would I would try to, you know, break down for somebody who's trying to wrap their mind around the history of our country. Um, again, just kind of at a foundational level, just saying that, you know, sin has affected our country, and even in its establishment and in its birth, if you will, this country has never been a, a utopian. <laughs> this is this has never been the perfect society. So there is no such thing as as make America great again. <laughs> there is no such thing. Hmm. There has always been brokenness in this country. There has always been sin. There has always been atrocities uh, committed across the spectrum of humanity. And so I would I would definitely highlight that. But then to the specifics of uh, justice related to the black and white conversation, you know, as it relates to like civil rights movement, um, uh, even going back further than that, um, as it relates to, you know, maybe maybe some of the things coming out of the late 1800s after slavery, antebellum, uh, you know, South and things of that nature. Like I would just try to lay out some of those things just as framework. Uh, for people to understand some of the things that have happened um, between the two ethnicities, uh, between blacks and, and whites, um, and all the in-betweens as it relates to those, those generalities, um, those two uh, colors, black and white, those are the things that are the generalities. But then when it comes to some of the specifics of those, then that's when you get the actual unique narratives and the unique stories that come with uh, those particular people. Um, so not, not all white people are of Swedish descent. Not all white people are of, are of Russian descent. And so I would agree with Karen Ellis. Uh, she said this in a speech somewhere, but that we need to reclaim ethnicity. Hmm. Um, and um, 
I guess I, I don't think she was saying that we should avoid using the term race as a whole, but ethnicity would probably be better suited for the conversation, this long and ongoing conversation that needs to be had. Um, so I would probably tend to agree with that. And I would just say building the framework and then beginning to think about ethnicity and some of the problems that have existed and uh, and also trying to help people get get from around hiding, <laughs> get, get from hiding behind the, the generalities of black and white um, and speaking for uh, and speaking for mass groups. And so one thing that I try to avoid is just kind of kind of speaking for the whole of, of the black community. Hmm. Like my experience, just as you just you just said it, that uh, your experience was not like uh, many Asian experiences yeah. that yeah, that sure. some of my Asian friends have experienced. They have experienced, you know, various situations where they have had to speak up for justice and mm-hmm. and things of that sort. And so, um, yeah, I would I would try to speak to particulars of our society and see which way the person wants to take the conversation, and then we can deal with the details. Let's 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 take our, our cultural moment for a second, and and let's talk about uh, police brutality as an example. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, Nathan might have gotten cut off. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> oh man. Uh, Nathan, we hope you're there, brother. Nathan, Nathan's here. I think. I think he's here. Um. So, so, so let's let's talk about uh, police brutality okay. as an example okay. of systemic racism. Nathan, would you say that would be a good one for us to address? Yeah. So, so let's do that. So if, if we think about if we think about Nathan Nathan uh, just type yes so we're having a couple of technical difficulties but but we got our brother chatting with us so so we're here we're all here um, so Theo's question your question brother was you know how would you address it so historically but to come to this moment um, I would say that when you think about police brutality then you would have to look at the details now I don't have any stats before me. Mm-hmm as it relates to police brutality, but even anecdotally, um, anecdotally, for example, if we were to use uh, this, I mean, I might get shot down out of the sky for using this as an anecdote, but if you were to look at YouTube and you would see some of the videos between whites who are accosted by police versus blacks who are accosted by police, a lot of those videos will end with the white person being taken into custody and a lot of the other video with without harm mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. without any physical um, kind of uh, restraint uh, in that sense. Uh, but you will see other videos that end with a, a black person being shot or harmed or or taken to the ground in a very rough kind of manner. Um, that's just anecdotally. Hmm. Um, and I would say as it relates to those kind of scenarios, is that systemic? Maybe, maybe. You know, maybe there is a sense in which the system that these police officers are working for gives them a sense of this is a way that you can use your authority. 
And until some of the judgments that have been handed down, specifically, for example, like in the Ahmaud Arbery case, um, or in the case uh, uh, even here in Dallas, um, with the brother who was killed in his own apartment, um, I'm blanking on his name, uh, because the judgment was handed down while when we moved here, actually. Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, my goodness. Um, but there was a young man who who was uh, who was killed in his own home, like, and the police the police officer was found guilty. Hmm. Um, she was found guilty for entering that home and and uh, not using her authority in the way that she needed to. But but the point I'm making is that there are systems that if they are not, um, I don't want to say heavy-handed, but if they are not rightly using their authority. Uh, then these things can seem like they're being um, encouraged. Uh, so, so yeah, I would I would definitely have to look at the details. Okay. I'm kind of scrambling for words because I don't have yeah. those yeah, details. Yeah. But right. but that's just an anecdotal example. That's 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 interesting. That's like not. Uh, I mean, this kind of highlights the fact that like, you know if you really want to dig into this issue, you, you really need to talk to the people involved because um, you'll get responses that you, I think are like um, a lot more nuanced and a lot more, uh, you know, lived out than simply like a, however much worded tweet or Facebook post or something like that. Um, so then like... Uh, you know, w with you personally, then, um, does this, you know, with uh, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and, and George Floyd now, does this shape the way you now interact with the police? Are you, you're thinking about talking to your kids about how they're going to interact with the police in the future? Yeah, that's a great, great question, too. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot that has shaped the way that, that I interact with the police. And this is, again, this is just more of the same. Um, so it's not anything new um, in terms of what I've seen and, and what, I've, what I've heard uh, as it relates to how people have been treated uh, firsthand, uh, whether those are older uncles and aunts who have lived through the civil rights. Um, you know, so no, it doesn't necessarily change how I will interact with the police or how I will raise my children, um, but it does uh, heighten my sense of uh, thoroughness in their training as it relates to handling situations with authority figures, particularly with the police. Um, whether that police officer is black or white, if the police officer is white, there's just a set of, you know, principles that I would teach my children to interact with that police officer uh, having those things in mind. If the police officer is black, there's also a set of principles that I would have uh, my children operate uh, with, you know, as they're interacting with that police officer. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to get Nathan back. I don't think he's coming back. So, so like for, for Christians today, I think like, um, I think my, my own personal, uh, feelings about the matter is I, I do want to, uh, you know, address the ways that I think, um, 
police officers today have been corrupt, have, have done things that have misused their power. I want to make sure that our systems have accountability. Um, so I, I try to do that as best I can and, and have those conversations, try to get to know people, take care of them. Um, but I, I know like from my conversations with a lot of different people that a lot of them, a lot of Christians, even though they want to be helpful in this conversation, they want to uh, empathize and get to know uh, these situations and, and, and speak prophetically into our current context. Um, they're they're kind of scared with like pinning their name to organizations such as the Black Lives Matter organization, sure. um, because you know as a as a slogan we we all agree like Black Lives Matter and and we need to do the best we can to preserve that preserve sure. that community and those people and their their our, our family and, and we don't want to we don't want them to be suffering. Right. Uh, but we also have this concern of these these political agendas being wrapped up in it that's promoting abortion and uh, homosexuality and, and, and LGBT agendas that we want to distance ourselves from. Um, right. So, you know, when, when you're kind of sifting through it, like what, uh, how have you weighed out what the concerns ought to be? And, and what do you think Christians ought to do to respond faithfully in the context we have today? Yeah, well, you know, and you talk about Black Lives Matter. I mean, I think that it's sad that the Black Lives Matter organization has gained more traction with seeking justice from a flawed worldview more than the church has. Hmm. And so that in and of itself is sad. And, and it's it's something that has to be acknowledged. Um, and I think that many churches, many of us are as Christians are recognizing that organizations like this that do not come from a robust, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving kind of perspective are gaining more traction with the culture and with society and even providing solutions, quote-unquote, um, to the mass because they're actually taking action. So mm -hmm. one of the things that is funny that, that you would ask that question because I read this literally before we came online, and it comes from Romans 12. And this section in Romans 12 is after Paul has gone through this long exposition of the gospel and this inclusion of uh, the Gentiles uh, with the Israelite people into the true Israel. And it's really interesting, like when you read it, but it's chapter 12, verse 9. And I'll just read this section. And uh, I, I hope I get to preach this one day, man. This this right here, brother, <laughs> this, is, this is social reform right here, brother. Watch this. Listen. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hope fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And I think that's where the Black Lives Matter situation, they probably will have some issues with that. So serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who are bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We hear that verse quoted a lot. Hmm. Um, live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Yeah, nobody wants to hear that. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Mm. And man, what a powerful, powerful passage of scripture. This is God's word, God's truth to bring about the kind of reform that a lot of these organizations are wanting. And at the 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 core of this passage is the risen Lord Jesus Christ and and he's shining and offering up solutions for us as it relates to how I've tried to navigate it insofar as an organization will align itself with said principles hmm. for example what I've just read hmm. I will partner with that I will partner with that organization hmm. but you have to be very careful and I think it is a matter of conscience as well um, because we do not want to bind people's consciences in terms of how they seek to go about being faithful. That's the word you use, being faithful to the Lord of the scriptures. And if someone in their conscience sees that partnering with the Black Lives Matter for a food drive or for a protest rally where they're going to stand for the justice of people, uh, black people against police brutality, for example, since since mm -hmm. that's the one that we brought up as an example, yeah, yeah. then I, I see no issues with someone standing for that. Hmm. But again, I've, I've mentioned this even when I did like a little spill on um, Black Lives Matter when, when I was a pastor with you guys uh, at, at uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church. But when the, when the conversation gets turned to uh, a matter of gender, cisgender, um, you know, uh, transgenderism, uh, lesbianism, homosexuality, when it is a fight to equalize that kind of biblical, uh, non-biblical, excuse me, non-biblical sense of marriage, then that's where the issues come in. Hmm. And that's where I, I will not attend a Black Lives Matter protest. I will not attend a Black Lives Matter food drive if, if we're going to be celebrating those kinds of things. And so I just think people have to really, really get into the word for themselves, man, and be spirit led hmm. uh, from the truth of scripture and uh, make wise decisions in the long run. Um, I think, I think that's really the way to go. Hmm. Well, that's, a, that's a good word, man. Um, you know, I, I think I, I, obviously, you know, we, we believe in total depravity, um, and we, we're never going to see uh, wholeness this side of heaven. Um, but, but yeah. Randall, I just, I just kind of wanted to ask you, like, sure. it, like, particularly for the church, you know, you know, it's just been such a, it's been such a, a deep history there of, of a lot of ways the church hasn't done a good job with, with this issue. Um, what, what do you think the, the biblical vision of, uh, of uh, reconciliation in Christ, what do you think that would look like for us today in, in this kind of conversation on a very grassroots level? Yeah, uh, just another great question, man. Like all these questions we could continue to converse on for mm -hmm. years and years to come because yeah. that's really where it goes, man. It, it goes to, to having foresight and seeing the Lord continue his redemptive work. 
So, so the gospel, I mean, when we think about um, us having a sin problem, that, that's really where we need to take the conversation. Um, and so, so when I think about uh, being able to talk to someone about a better here and now, I will talk to them about eternal life because eternal life has to do with their future hmm. and it does have to do with the quality of life that they are experiencing now, hmm. i.e. their hope in Christ, even though they do not see things getting better. You know, scripture talks about those who were beheaded and chased out into caves, into the wilderness, but because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they never wavered. They continued to walk with the Lord and uh, continue to put their trust in Him. And so that's the kind of faith that I think the gospel offers people. Mm-hmm. And so when we face the kind of sin problems that we have, um, as, 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 as wild as it might sound, um, the protests are not going to expunge sin and the brokenness that we are seeing and experiencing. Neither the brokenness that is to come and that has not been experienced yet because there is more <laughs> mm-hmm. as long as there is a world there is more um, of the effects of sin that we will experience and see in our world more more tragedies to come and that sounds hopeless but the gospel is hopeful because the gospel says that Jesus Christ has come to take away sin and the effects of sin and the power of the devil and to make all things new because he has paid the cost of our sins. Those of us who are in Christ now and those who are not in Christ, but if they would turn and put their trust in him, that they would find a place of solace and righteousness that they could never achieve themselves. Um, and that's, that's that peace with God that comes through knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so that passage I read from Romans 12, I think that's probably where we get a lot of beef with, with some of the folks who, who would not hold to our presuppositions or who would not hold to the kind of thinking and principles that we find rooted in the scripture and in the gospel. Um, so, so yeah, I would just kind of start there and say, man, it's going to be a long road to hoe mm. and try to offer up some of the themes of hope and redemption that we see in God's word and, and not flatten out the gospel mm. um, and make sure that we are working hard to apply the gospel to all of life um, in all of its richness and all of its profoundness um, so that people can experience eternal life now as we await uh, a full consummation of eternal life in the future without sin and death and pain and atrocities. Hmm. So as a, a former uh, pastor for, from IBC, like, what, what, would you, what kind of words of uh, practical advice would you give us as a church as we're trying to seek to be faithful to our contemporary context here? Yeah, great question. Well, Nathan just, uh, you know, sent us a a message here. He says, yeah, we start with Nathan's apology because he couldn't lend his wisdom and insight to this podcast (laughs) because his Wi-Fi was jacked up. But uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, I would say to the folks at uh, IBC, my beloved uh, brothers and sisters out there in the UIC area, man, just... Uh, continue to do exactly what Romans 12 said, let love be genuine. And love does not look at the wrongs that we see in society, but we stand 10 toes down with the strength of the Holy Spirit and we engage those wrongs, uh, knowing that the Lord will be our strength and he will guide us uh, along the paths that we should run in. Uh, and, And not everybody should be running in the same lane. 
I remember at our church, we had a number of people who worked on the legal system. A lot of them would probably be better in the courtroom than I would. Mm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, um, some of them are in the medical field, and we know that there are things that can be corrected in the medical field. Mm. Um, a lot of them would probably be better working on some of those injustices or, or things that are wrong in the medical field that, that I, you know, wouldn't have any idea where to start. Yeah. Um, So I would just say, seek the Lord. It starts there, man. Psalm 34, 4, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, and he will answer and deliver you from all your fears. And as a matter of fact, he will deliver you and give you guidance, give you wisdom for how to navigate the particular lanes uh, that you have a burden to run in. And so that's probably where I would start. And again, just let love be genuine and begin to just see how uh, the gospel uh, motivates that love. And, and that's where I probably would go from there. Hmm. Well, um, you know, uh, Pastor, I know this was this is a rocky podcast. This, there, this is what happens when you, you pastor in COVID-19, man, things happen. But, <laughs> uh, honestly, dude, it's been super encouraging to hear from you about this time when, when things just feel 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 kind of scary feel uncertain um and just hearing your voice about you know reminding us about biblical truth uh, what's real in this world uh that jesus christ is still good that that's right it really means a lot man that's right well jesus so. christ is still good brother he's still good to all of us mm-hmm. even though we his enemies man you know when we were his enemies he loved us you know he made us his own and so that's the message that we offer up to people that that even though you can't see how God is is getting his justice or or how God is going about his agenda of providing a new creation, man, that's the hope that we offer up to people through the gospel. And and I'm glad to be on the podcast with you guys and seeing you guys doing great work. And it's an encouragement to my heart as well just to sit down and chop it up with you guys, man. Love y'all. Hmm, love you too, man. Uh, we'll be praying for you and your church plant and your family and all those things. Thank you, bro. All right, man. Okay, all right, you. peace.